0: Okay, I'm um, going to talk about the Great Commission again. It's been about three weeks because last week we talked about how to grieve and grow. And two weeks ago we didn't have church because we couldn't get in here. And uh, but uh, So I want to review a little bit from a prayer evangelism. I'm, gonna, I'm sharing about different ways of sowing seeds in people's lives so that they can know about the love of God. And so... I talked a few weeks ago about prayer evangelism, and it's something that all of us can do, something that we can uh, be a part of. If you and I um, practice prayer evangelism on a daily basis, it would open doors to other forms of sowing seeds and, and, and uh, sharing Jesus with other people. Living in prayer opens our eyes to see answers. Living in prayer opens our eyes How Jesus lived is what I would call prayer evangelism. He said he only did what he saw the Father doing and he only spoke what he heard the Father say. So Jesus, he lived in prayer and he listened. He lived in prayer and he looked. So uh, he prayed, he looked, and he listened. That's how Jesus lived his life. That's how Jesus was the most effective minister that there's ever been is that he prayed, he looked, and he listened and then he acted. He acted upon what he heard and what he saw. And so I shared with you a couple weeks ago that when you come to church or when you're around people, you should be saying, "God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What do you want me to receive from you in church today?" We're in prayer today. And what do you want me to give? And here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He hasn't led you to walk in late and sit wherever and leave right away. He's never led anyone to do that. Your stomach has led you to do that. Or the alarm snooze maybe led you to do that. But he's never led you to walk in late and sit wherever. But the Holy Spirit really wants to lead us in touching other people. He really wants to lead us. He really wants to give gifts through us more than we want gifts going through us. And so, what is prayer evangelism? Now, so if you come to church and you don't give, you can't really receive much, can you? The measure that you give is given back to you. So, what is prayer evangelism? It's pray without ceasing, then looking, listening, and acting. And... I share with you how the Apostle Paul, the only prayer request that I ever know him asking prayer for was, oh, we went over this. Remember that? You're always supposed to live at what? what color? Yellow. Always alert. Holy Spirit, what might you be doing? Okay. Paul believed that it was prayer that opened doors to evangelism he prayed for open doors, he prayed for the right words, and he prayed for boldness. That's what he, pra- he asked prayer requests for, and it's what he prayed for himself. So, open doors, the right words, boldness and swiftness. Doors will not open without prayer, not even for the great Apostle Paul. Living in prayer and looking causes us to see the doors that are opened through prayer. Living in prayer causes doors to open. Living in prayer gives us the words as the doors are opened. And living in prayer shows us maybe the things that God wants to do, the deeds that need to be done. So my encouragement to you was to practice this. Wherever you're supposed to practice, everywhere. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Have you been practicing at all? Now, I went from about one percent doing this to about twenty percent yay i 'm doing a little bit more, but so my encouragement to you is to keep this in your brain wherever you go, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation right here there 's darkness in this situation, but God, your kingdom come to it, so that was what we talked about like three weeks ago and and I shared this. Um, if Paul needed prayer for boldness, how much more do I? If Jesus lived this way, how much more do I need to lean into the Holy Spirit to listen? So, my encouragement to you is to practice. Love is an action. Love is not a feeling, it's an action primarily, and feelings follow those actions. So, when you came in church today, what did you do? You tripped. I know that. But other than that, did you? what are you doing, God? Who should I minister to today? Now, this is based upon a Scripture right here. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, those who don't know Jesus, those who don't understand the way of the kingdom. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most... Of every opportunity. That sounds like, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you saying? Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Now we should be wise how we act towards each other too. But Paul is Paul. Paul wanted to see people saved, and so he gives this. Now, now he's going to share how to make the most. Here it is. Let your conversation be always full of grace. That's hard to do when you're mad at politicians. That's mad to do. I mean, that's hard to do when when you're mad at people. But it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Our speech is always supposed to be gracious. Gracious. Even if I disagree with Danny, I'm supposed to be gracious in how I disagree with him. I'll give you a recent example. Uh, I had a friend I went to Bible college with. He turned away from Jesus and on his on his Facebook page, his political views it says uber liberal. <laughs> uber liberal. So, we talk every now and then and 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 he wanted to find out all about the fire and and he wanted to argue with me about gun control. Now, I'm not a gun advocate, and I'm not, you know, I don't know all the statistics and all the laws and all the cool charts maybe I could tell him, but he really wanted to talk about this. (laughs) So about 45 minutes, we're talking to each other. The whole time, he was being gracious to me, and I was being gracious to him. And I was saying, okay, I understand what you're saying. And, and we weren't getting mad at each other. We would laugh in between and, and stuff like that. And when it was all over, I sent him a text and I said, great debate today. Uh, as far as passion goes, you won. As far as using right terminology, I won. Okay. Because <laughs> he didn't know what a semi-automatic was or an automatic. He thought, he thought people carried around subatomic the sub-atomic machine guns. So I said, hey, you're cute. All right, so, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, but let your speech, and folks, we get riled up about all kinds of things, but our speech is supposed to be seasoned with grace. How do you know if you're in the Holy Spirit? Well, I feel it. no. Here's how you know if you're in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You love this person that you totally and completely disagree with. You still love them. You still have joy, even though they can't seem to see. You still have joy. You still have peace on the inside of you, even though you're in sort of an outward battle, and the inside, you're at peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness. This is when we act like this and when we live that out. Paul said that's making the most of every opportunity. That fit in this sermon somehow. <laughs> I, I feel edified. A merry heart does a body good. When it comes to evangelism, we hear these amazing stories by ordinary people. Two or three weeks ago, we watched Finger of God. And in that, we saw ordinary people being used in extraordinary ways. And we see that and we think, man, I wish I had that gift. I wish I had that calling. Because we tend to think of evangelists as this faraway model that we could never attain to. Most of us, when we think of evangelists, we think of who? Who? We think of Billy Graham, right? Most people think of evangelists, they think of Billy Graham. Maybe if you're in Africa, you think of Reinhard Bonnke, or you think of some of these these famous men, or men from the past, the D.L. Moody, or Billy Sunday. And evangelists are to do what? Okay, We would typically think to evangelize. That is not their primary calling. It's not their primary calling. Their primary calling He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare or equip God's people for works of service. So the evangelist's main job is to equip the saints to evangelize. The pastor's main job is to get us to care for people. The teacher's main job is so that we can explain in simple terms to people Jesus Christ. Okay, the prophet's main job is to equip the saints on how to hear God, how to respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. So the fivefold ministry is not so we can watch them and say, wow, look at them, Billy Graham, he's so amazing. But the evangelist's main job is to equip the saints to do what, they're called, uh, what their, their function is called to be. So an evangelist's job is to equip us to evangelize. And I like how Paul says it the best. You know, sometimes people call it soul winning. I don't really care for that phrase because he's the one that saves souls. We don't save souls. But Paul calls it to plant and to water. I can relate to that, right? I mean, how many things have you killed? Okay, but we can relate to sowing some seeds and planting and watering. And so Paul talks about this. He gives a description of it. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, or we're co-laborers with him. You are God's, God's field, you are God's building. So, what does it mean to plant? You only plant a seed once unless it gets stolen. Then you've got to replant. The squirrel dug it up, the dog dug it up. But what does it mean to plant a seed? Well, the first time that somebody hears the true gospel, they just had a seed sown. You know that a lot of people have heard a false gospel or a legalistic gospel, or an angry gospel, or a watered-down gospel, or an incomplete gospel. But when a person for the first time hears the true gospel, a seed just got sown inside of them. Once that seed is in there, it cannot grow without water. It has to be watered. Now sometimes people get born again just like that, but most of the time it's seeds and then water, water, fertilizer. Then you've got to weed it. And what's a weed? A weed is this guy this guy believes in evolution. That's a weed. I've got to try to help him pull that weed out. This guy has been hurt by the church. So he doesn't he hates hypocrisy. So I gotta help him get this weed out of his brain and say, you know, you gotta look to Jesus. Yes, you know, no one is, is is perfect in Christ, but we're trying to grow and there are some hypocrites and I'm sorry for that. So there's people that weed and then there's people that water. He heard the true gospel, and now Johnny comes along and Johnny just says something else. Johnny plants he, he waters the seed. And so something begins to grow inside of it. And so that's... Can you do this? We can do this. Making the most of every opportunity. Having our speech seasoned with gracious words. Um, You know, I don't put a lot on Facebook. You know that, right? The reason I don't do that is because I don't want to... Now listen, I believe some people are called to put stuff on Facebook. Because... I'm just careful about it because I don't feel like I want to start something that I can't finish. And I don't want to start a bunch of fights and then I can't finish. them. (laughs) And so I just tend not to put a whole lot on there. Some of you, I've seen the stuff you do and you really do it graciously. And and I'm really impressed by some of the conversations you get going and stuff like that. But a, a seed has to be watered sometimes for a week, sometimes for a month, sometimes for a year, and sometimes for a decade before life pops up. So we are not evangelists. We are seed sowers. We are waterers. We are weed pullers, and we fertilize. Okay, That's that's what we do. The evangelist's job was to equip us to do those things. So Paul told Timothy, do the work of the evangelist, so that's what I'm doing here as a pastor. I'm teaching out of my gift um, about this. We don't save anybody. We don't save souls. Only Jesus saves. So we simply sow seeds and we water simply by representing Jesus the best that we can everywhere we go. Beginning at home, we simply represent Him. And we're always asking God, what are you doing? What are you saying? How can I represent you in this situation? So we're going to look at some some. Uh, methods of evangelism how people have been reached for the gospel one is mass evangelist and when you think of mass evangelist evangelism who do you think of bailey graham mass evangelism in the 50s and 60s really worked in the united states at one time there were 20 to 30 tents giant tents that would seat anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand people set up all over america and it would be in the newspaper. And it really had its day, but it doesn't really work anymore. You know who goes to mass evangelism events now? Christians! <laughs> Christians go to these things now. But in Africa, mass evangelism is huge. Right Heart Bunky will preach to up to f- half a million to a million people at one time, filled with signs and wonders and miracles and all kinds of things happening So mass evangelism in some place still really happens. It still happens in South America. In China, it doesn't happen because the church is persecuted. So it happens out in the woods or in a cave or in the forest or in a house. So evangelism, mass evangelism doesn't... Is mass evangelism expensive? It's super expensive. And sometimes the fruit of it hasn't really remained. They say that about 5% of people that pray the prayer in these mass events really stick with it. Then the next one is door-to-door. Who's made this famous? Jehovah Witness and Mormons have made this very famous door-to-door evangelism. Um, and this did have some effectiveness in the 50s and 60s, but for the most part in the year 2016, it's not real effective in the U.S. Why? People aren't home. People hate to have strangers knock on their door. If somebody knocks, you turn off the lights, you turn off the TV, and you just wait till they leave, okay? I don't want any. I don't, I don't want to buy this. I don't need steak, you know. I don't know. Have you seen those people driving the streets, and they have a the great deal on steaks? You're the last house I've went to. Okay, but, uh, and you know, there's really not a lot of biblical example for door-to-door. They met house-to-house as a church, and then they invited people into their homes, all right. Then we have tract evangelism. Tract evangelism in the 70s and 80s. Oh man, that was pretty popular. It was on college campuses. The chick publication made all kinds of tracks that were, you know, nowadays would be pretty corny. But back then, man, some of those things. And people would pass out tracks, and people got saved from tract evangelism. Most tracks went where? In the trash. You know, people cussed when they saw it on their windshield, and and uh, except for Elf, you remember Elf? He took every track given to him. Um, but but tracks can be handy sometimes for getting thoughts in your head. And then there is kindness evangelism. Now our valley has been in a three week thing where the church has opened up its doors and given away a ton of food, clothes. All kinds of things the church has been giving away in the valley. It's been wonderful. Donations have come from all over California and beyond. Stores have donated cases of water and Albertsons. I can't remember what they brought up, but they brought up a bunch of stuff to us. Just, I don't know, out of the blue. And so kindness evangelism is simply doing acts of kindness for other people. We've done quite a few of them in the past where we went to houses and raked up leaves and weeded places and and we would wash people's windshield and we did free car washes. And you remember when we used to go out to Onyx? We'd go out to Onyx and we'd bring out food and tri tip and, and, uh, you know, we served a lot of people and brought them shampoo and all this kind of stuff and canned goods. And if you've been out there at all or if you've been ups- upstairs, upstairs is just crazy. Uh, with clothes and and all kinds of stuff. But kindness is what we've been doing, the church has been doing at at an incredible rate in the last three weeks as we've just simply helped people try to get back on their feet. And so kindness evangelism is a very low risk. I mean, anybody can do this, you know, a low risk. And yet it can be very effective in just showing the kindness of God. It's just been a neat experience this week to see people who... May not know the Lord, but they've been incredibly blessed, and you know God bless you. And you hear everybody saying that. It's just sort of a neat thing to see. In Romans two four, it says, "Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness, the goodness of God, leads you to repentance." In Titus three four, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior. Toward man appeared. So uh, kindness evangelism. Just doing acts of kindness. And then there is friendship evangelism. In the United States right now, friendship evangelism is the, is the major way that people get saved. This is the, it's not mass evangelism. It's not track evangelism. It's not door to door. It's people becoming friends with people who don't know Jesus because you love them. Not to win them, but to love them. To show the love of God where you actually begin to like those good old sinners. Where you actually like them. We don't like sin. So what this is, it's the most effective means of evangelism in America right now, especially when coupled with other means. The definition is being a true friend to those who don't know Christ. The byproduct is they may come to know Jesus. Jesus. Now, this is true. The average person will attend church for three weeks, and if someone doesn't connect with them, they will leave. That's why it's really important for you on Sundays not to sit on your behind, but to actually greet people. And if they look sort of new, man, that's, your, that's yours. If you don't know them, you need to introduce yourself because people will only stay for three weeks if they don't connect to somebody. Paul went through this whole thing. I read this verse to you about a year ago. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win them more. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, as those under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became like weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all men, that I by, by all means save some. I, this guy called, or a, a, a story was shared on, Uh, Dr. Brown, the show that I want you guys to listen to. Uh, And and one of the questions was, do you think it would be okay to smoke pot with my friends so that I can witness to them? That's not what that verse means. (laughs) That we are friends, but not compromising. We are friends, but we're not compromising. We are not becoming like them in sin, but in common traits and interests that we love so that we can demonstrate. You know, Christians and non-Christians alike enjoy food. Many enjoy sports or hobbies of various kinds or travel or games or creation or movies or discussion. Most people like coffee or something along. These common traits, we build relationship. So we are, we are, to, be, we are to have unbelieving friends. And we are not to become like them in sinner mindset. But some Christians are so afraid of being tainted that they avoid the people of the world. That's, you can't, when you first get saved, you can do that. Just so that you can grow and be strengthened. But after a while, you need to go back. You need to go back and share the goodness and the kindness of God. And you cannot be their friend if you talk funny or religious. Most of you are really good at not talking funny. There have been people that have visited our church. They talk funny. They talk like they're straight from TBN. I don't know what it is. They talk talk Christianese, and you can't understand them without a dictionary. What does that mean? (laughs) All right, so don't talk funny. So I'm going to ask a question. I asked this in the first service. How many of you got saved in a mass crusade? How many of you got saved by Christian TV? How many of you got saved because of kindness evangelism? Somebody washed your window or they brought food to your house. How many of you got saved by door-to-door? Door-to-door, okay, one. How many of you got saved because you were befriended and loved by a friend or a family member? Okay, almost 100% in the first service got saved because somebody invited them to church or somebody got involved in their life and somebody just began to live Jesus in front of them. So in our church, 150 adults or whatever it was between both services, 99.9% of the people who got saved in this church got saved because of friendship evangelism. Now, God will use mature people to do his bidding, and God will use brand-new believers to do his bidding. God will save people through those with wrong motives and with pure motives and with mixed motives. Paul describes this in Philippians. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ to get me in trouble. Their motives were wrong. But the latter did it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So, the majority of people who get chur- saved in churches in America are getting saved through friendship evangelism. But the church in America is shrinking. Where the church is exploding is a form of evangelism I haven't mentioned yet. What is it? First service people can't tell me. Signs and wonders. The church is exploding in China. Signs and wonders. The church is exploding. There's a church down in Argentina. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was a church of 100,000. started small. No, it started small. But now it's over 100,000 people. When Pastor Che, who's sort of the pastor of our our movement here, when he asked Omar, Omar Cabrero, why did your church experience massive growth? He looked at Che and immediately said, creative miracles. He didn't say miracles. He didn't say healing. He said creative miracles. When creative miracles begin to happen, the church exploded. Say, so what's a creative miracle? A person that has a hole in their head and the hole closes. A person without a finger and the finger grew. It was created. A person that had a had, an, had something removed in their body, it was put back in. Bill Johnson shared a few, at, when we watched The Finger of God, about a man who had a glass eyeball and he got prayer and he it started to get blurry. He took out the glass eyeball and behind that, was a new eyeball. The man had lost it. Those are creative miracles. It's hard to keep those quiet in a community. (laughs) So, um, the church in the United States is shrinking. Mainline denominations have been losing members for the last... The more liberal they get, the more members they lose. If it wasn't for churches that are preaching the word of God in a relevant way the church would would the rate would be astronomically low. But because there are moves of the Holy Spirit in various places in America, um, it's not shrinking as bad. I know that sounds I'm painting a face on something that's bad. What does America need to see a turnaround? Not door to door, not tracks, not mass well mass with signs and wonders would be a sight but what the church has to begin to demonstrate is power power where people see the power of God and if they won't come to church to see it we've got to show it out there and so this is where the church is exploding and the reason I'm showing these videos at night is because they're full of signs and wonders amongst an exploding church when I showed you the church of China a few weeks ago, it's filled with persecution and signs and wonders. So I'm going to quit here because it's where I had to quit in this, in the first service. But I do wanna and plus I want to get to the river. No, I'm kidding. I uh uh I, I wanna share I wanna share something. Two people have had visions and about sort of the fire situation, and I wanted to sort of share them. Um, one person's from Costa Rica, and I'll share that a second. But somebody in the church had a vision of the church joining hands, and we were doing the children's uh, ring around, a ring, a ring around a rosy, pocket full of holes, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And in the vision, we all fell. And of course, ashes is... What we have seen. But in the vision, we all got up. Okay? We all got back up, meaning the ashes may have burned. I mean, the fire may have burned some things, but we're back. We're up. We're going to see recovery. This came from Pastor Orlando. Many of you might remember him from Costa Rica. And he said, Mike, we are praying daily for you, your family, and the church. Three days ago, I was praying for you during my devotional time, and I had the following vision. You were standing at the beach in the shore wearing your swimsuit. You were looking at the ocean. Behind you, there was a great group of people waiting, possibly, to go in the water after you. It was not a feeling of crossing the ocean or facing it. It was not a threatening feeling, but one of enjoying yourself. If you... He doesn't know this, but I just love the ocean. I love the ocean so much. Um, If I could live by it and bring you all with me, we'd live there. I feel in my spirit the group of people standing behind you represents Kern River Church. At a certain point, I saw you smiling and lifting your arms, indicating the time to go in the water. So everyone behind you also raised their hands. That's the vision I had. I definitely believe there's something coming for you in the church. If we remember the word, the promise comes after the desert. And so he said, give my love to your family and church. And so both of those visions, I thought, eh, that's very similar. We're getting up and we're going in the beach. <laughs> so, um I'm encouraged that God knew what was coming, and he has some plans to bring beauty from it. And uh, um, Nicole sent me a song, and I I really thought this song, it was just so good for what we've been through. So I'm just going to share the song real quick here, and then we're going to pray. You got the volume up? Okay. Oh, wait. Matt, I need you to go to the last slide because I I can't finish the message. So just go to the last one, please. It's a good one. Hey, have I said anything about Dallas? Or is that the first service? Okay. Let me me close with a few remarks here. Um, A lot has happened this week in our nation. And uh, some protests And then, of course, what happened in Dallas uh, was very difficult to see. And when this happens in our nation, everybody seems to go to their corner. Liberals go to their corner. Conservatives go to their corner. The blacks go to this corner. The whites go to this corner. Um, You know, everyone seems to go to their corner, and they begin to defend their positions. And we may all have, we might all have opinions, but we must demonstrate compassion and empathy to every side. Sometimes we think, ah, "Well, they don't know." What we're list. Listen, what every side feels is felt deeply to the core of their being. And so, when we ridicule and mock and say demeaning things, all it does is further the divide, and if our nation is ever going to get healed of racism and and all these crazy where we 're taking sides and pitting and and, and there 's just all this anger in our nation we 've got to choose the better way, okay Yes, I might have some opinions. But I'm not going to argue, and I'm not going to get mad. I put the river today. I'm not going to talk to you about it. If you try to talk to me about it, I'll splash you. So you know we're good. Uh, but but we we really have to take the high road here. We've got to turn to prayer because I really can't do anything about Milwaukee. Right? I can't do anything but pray. I can't do anything about Dallas. Me getting online and mouthing off, or me me and you getting mad about it together and giving our opinions, that's really not going to do anything. But prayer might tap me into the mind of God about it. And then I might pray the will of God concerning it. And we know what His will is. We know what heaven's like. So our hearts and our minds and our speech needs to line up with what heaven is saying. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me, all the downtrodden, those that feel oppressed, abandoned. Uh, You know, know, yes, we want to pray for justice in, in situations, but we also want to pray, we can have justice and nobody gets saved. But in fact, when people get saved, it leads to justice. And so I just encourage you, in light of what we've seen this week, and you know our hearts have been broken over this thing, and, and we hear all kinds of opinions, and people are giving all kinds of opinions. Have his opinion. He loves black and red and white and yellow, and I used to sing that song as a kid. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And so sometimes we don't even care about what the other person says because we know we're right. Listen to what the other side is feeling. We don't have to agree with it. I'm not saying to bow to every opinion, but I'm saying in every opinion you hear, don't begin to battle it in the flesh and with your mind. Battle it in the spirit. (laughs) Battle it in prayer and love. So God, we pray. We pray for the United States and how we pray for United States. How we pray for a united mass of people. Sometimes we don't even have to go to the nations because the nations have come to us. They've come to America. And God, I just pray that we all have our political persuasion and I don't think we need to lay that down, but we need to bring Jesus into it. We need to bring Christ-like attitude and dialogue into it. And God, we don't need to die on that hill because you already died on a cross. We need to proclaim the victory of that cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Help us, God, when people want to fight on these issues. Help us to find your mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I have notes. I don't know what good it would do, ya, But here, here's notes for you.